Welcome to the very first episode of A Slice of Empathy podcast. My name is Valerie, and today I'm going to tell you a little bit about me and why I decided to start this podcast. I'll be telling you a little bit about who I am, and we'll be talking about my formative years. For several several episodes, we'll be talking to you about me, um, my history, why I decided to start the podcast, um, all that stuff. But I think going forward, um, I want to bring on guests. I am going to be starting off this podcast as a solo podcast. Uh, And then we will be inviting on guests in later episodes. So a little bit about me. My name is Valerie. I live in Northern California in the Sacramento area. I am originally from the Bay Area. And I am married to uh, my wonderful husband. We've been married for almost 15 years be celebrating that next year and I am 33 years old and I do content creation in my professional life and in my personal life I love to write Uh, I am an inspiring author Uh, I'm working on a book some more to come on that and in my free time I also create fashion YouTube videos. Um, I am probably going to be taking a little bit of a backseat on that. I'm not going to stop doing that, but I am probably going to take a little bit of time off to focus more on the podcast, to focus more on my book and some other things. Um, So um, I will also link in the footnotes if you are interested in checking those things out, checking out my YouTube, my Instagram, all my socials. I will leave in the footnotes all the ways you can contact me. I'm also an artist. I have loved doing different types of art since I can remember since I was a kid. And I honestly went through this period of my life where I, it was kind of a dry period where I wasn't really into art. And I think I'll probably get into more of that shortly. Um, But it's something that I've been trying to get back into because I just loved drawing anime. I am a huge anime, weeb, um, Japanese culture fan, um, and I love reading manga. That's been a big part of my life. Um, One of the biggest things that my husband and I had in common when we met, Um, and so that's something that I enjoy doing, and whenever I have free time, I love doing it. I am also a huge fan of the X-Files. I will attend conventions across the country. I haven't got to international as far as traveling for X-Files, but I, I expect to do that one day. Um, traveling to meet uh, Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files, Julian Anderson, David Duchovny, much, much more. And for those of you listening, you're probably my fellow file fans, and welcome to my first episode of my podcast. Hey, I'm Neurodivergent, so <laughs> this episode and some episodes might be a little bit of all, all over the place. So please bear with me. Um, I appreciate (laughs) your patience. Um, So that is just kind of a little bit about me. Um, Some of my other interests are hiking. And of course, I just mentioned traveling, trying new things. I love food, trying different food whenever I travel. That is a big thing for me, trying new food. And I am a cat lover. I have, well, technically I have six cats inside my house, but two of them are my mom's. Um, And we recently adopted two little kittens. One is a tabby cat and one is a flame point or also known as a red point Siamese. 
They are brothers. They are super cute. Um, my husband and I have always wanted to adopt a set of kittens because previously when we've adopted cats, we've only adopted one just because for whatever reason, uh, financially or, you know, because of work, uh, we couldn't take on <laughs> the responsibility of more than one at a time. Um, but I can understand why shelters will recommend adopting out more than uh, one kitty. So, you know, they have each other to keep entertained. So we love them. We've had them for about a month. Very, very sweet little kitties. However, they <laughs> can grind my gears just a little bit. Um, they are two boys. I have been a cat mom of three girls. Most of the my husband and I's 15 years of marriage. Um, so it is a little bit of a learning curve. I just a little bit. Um, they are very, very rambunctious and full of energy, much more so than my girl kitty when I got hers or we got her as a kitten. Um, and yeah, so it's a little bit of an adjustment. Um, we actually were not sure if we were gonna get another kitty or kitties anytime soon after our old gal, Kai, had passed away early on in June. Um, that was very sad, um, but we were just thankful that she had spent 15 years with us. She, we got her shortly before we got married, um, and we had had her for many years, and she's been with us from our first apartment to our very first house that we bought last year. And she, <laughs> I just had hope that she would live to see her first house, and she did, and um, yeah, I mean, I could go on further about it, but um, yeah, she lived a long time, and um, unfortunately, we had to put her to sleep um, earlier on this summer because she had a lot of health issues that our vet had said there wasn't, it. there was no guarantee that she was gonna get better, and I felt like at her age, and the fact that she hadn't been eating, I felt like the most loving thing we could do is to let help her go peacefully. Um, so <laughs> it's been a few months, but I am a cat lover. Um, my husband and I are also um, child-free, childless by choice. We choose not to have kids. And I know that's eventually a question that is going to come up, but I'm going to say it. Straight off the bat, <laughs> we have chosen to have a child-free lifestyle. Um, that's just what works for us. You know, no shade on anyone else for that. That is just what we chose together and what works for our lifestyle. Maybe I'll talk more about that in future episodes, so let me know if you want me to talk more about that, because I know um, I have a lot of people um, who are childless, child-free, um, by choice or by circumstance that probably will uh, listen to this podcast. So, hey, if you want me to make an episode about all about that and our experiences kind of blending in with that demographic because there is kind of still a stigma around that, any sort of alternative lifestyle, there's, you know, there's going to be feedback that you have to deal with throughout your life. And um, But thankfully, you know, our family and friends for the most part are very supportive of our choice not to have kids. Um, and so we have our five or no, six, six fur kitties. I'm still getting used to that. We have our six fur kitties. So it's a little bit of an adjustment. So that is me in a nutshell. Now, of course, as we move forward, you will probably learn more about me and other things will come up, all of that good stuff. But I think 
And instead of just making an episode just talking uh, all about me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to section this out. And I think in this episode, we're going to focus on my younger formative years. So me from, you know, as best as I can remember anyway, from birth through maybe um, 18 years of age. Um, so I think we're going to go ahead and talk about that in this episode. And then we'll kind of go from there and just kind of see how it goes. Um, I... <laughs> don't have the best long-term memory, but I'm going to recite events as best as I can. And I also want to give appreciation towards my mom and folks in my life who have given me validation and permission to share my story because once it's out there, it's, it's going to be out there forever. And I think that's one of my reasons why I had, um, reluctance to start this podcast because everyone's just gonna know and for many years I have just been a very very private person but I feel like hey you know if my story can help somebody else out there I'm gonna share it I just have felt the compelling need to share it and I just give so much credit to all the wonderful people in my life who have pushed me to do so, um, you know, have given me that <laughs> uh, encouragement uh, to, you know, not, you know, just realize my place in the world, but to share, to share my myself and my life and with with other folks, you know. Um, so thank you guys so much. So I wanted to preface this video by saying what you are about to hear is going to be some very heavy things um, that are part of my past, although they don't define me, they have shaped me in some way or form. Um, but I ask those of you who know any of the individuals that may be involved to please be respectful to me um, and to those people in my life. Um, you know, we can't change the past. It, you know, it happened. And this is how it happened. But I just please ask you just to please be respectful to everyone in my life if you may know who they are. Um, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um, as I move forward with sharing this story, I, I debated for some time on how and when and how it was going to be received. Because honestly... <laughs> I don't want to put it into a book. I, I didn't. I just never really felt compelled to write a memoir. I mean, maybe someday I will. I don't know. But I honestly think this method of forming this podcast is honestly the perfect opportunity. And um, yeah, so I'm putting it all out there in hopes that you know it can help someone. If if you know, and if it does, that will make all of the difference. So I just wanted to kind of <laughs> put out that little disclaimer. Um, just uh, please, please, please be kind. Um, you know, things have changed much, very much since then. Um, so yeah. And without further ado, let's get started on that. Okay, so I am originally from the Bay Area. I have one older brother. He is four years older than me. And 
you know, my parents um, had, uh, they were married when I was born and they, I think, divorced when I was about four, five years old. And I went to live with my mom for a few years um, after my parents had separated and later divorced. And my brother went to live with my dad in the Bay Area. So my brother has lived in the Bay Area pretty much all of his life. He later on moved up into the Sacramento, NorCal area. Um, but I actually had moved here actually originally with my mom um, and lived in the Sacramento area for about, I think, three or four years. Um, and I spent those years with her. Now, my mom at the time was in a very um, abusive, um, chaotic, violent relationship. Um, and I don't remember a lot of it. Um, I know we spent several years on welfare. I think at some point I wanted to live with my dad and um, that <laughs> didn't happen right away. There was kind of some very sad, chaotic circumstances that, you know, kind of facilitated that later on. Uh, and I'll kind of get to that as well. Um, I don't have a lot of memory of it because I ended up moving in with my dad when I was eight. Um, and at some point in time, I, I had a lot of behavioral issues as a result of um, my mom's situation and, you know, my parents sep being separated. Um, we lived in uh, a trailer, so a very small place. We were, we were poor. Um, you know, there wasn't really any other kids my age that lived in there. Um, and so I had, I suspect, I don't have a lot of recollection, but I suspected that there was some, uh, like, sort of, there were some incidents, I'll just say, of abuse, um, sexual abuse. And um, that, I believe, led me to act out in inappropriate ways at school and um, eventually I had been moved to a special education school because of um, these issues and I believe that it was handled wrong um, by the staff and unbeknownst to us at the time there was a lot of there was sex trafficking child human sex trafficking going on um, the school was later shut down. This was like a special ed school. I remember going there. I was there for a couple years. Fell very behind academically. They hardly taught us. I would witness children um, act out uh, even more dramatically than I did. I saw a kid put his fist through a window. Um, it was very traumatizing. Um, I remember the teacher's would kind of drill me every day. Uh, what was asking me what would happen at home. Um, and um, there were a couple incidences where they said I had maybe came wearing dirty clothes and that there was, there was a lot of suspicion that I had, um, what do you call it? <laughs> that that I was not being taken care of or fed properly. Um, I <laughs> we I, um, 
I did not have the best diet um, growing up. It was a lot of processed foods, uh, instant foods, cereal, TV dinners, stuff like that. Um, definitely could have been worse, but not great. Um, but uh, a lot of these uh, professionals had, um, I remember I had a couple of violent dreams um and i remember the teachers at the time i think had called cps um because they thought they they thought i was violent they thought things were happening at home that weren't um it was it was insane um but fast forward um you know cps had been called a couple times there was one day that i did not go home um, I was basically quarantined before I could get back on the bus. And I remember being taken by CPS and listening to my mom who was beside herself on the phone uh, in hysterics, um, which was quite traumatic. I don't have much recollection of it, but I just remember that that night I didn't go home. Um, I ended up going to what's called a receiving home or a group home um, where I ultimately was for three months. Um, I had sporadic um, um, visits with my parents that were supervised while they had to go to court. Um, eventually they had that tried in my dad's county because it was a larger county. And they basically had, I think they had to plead either no, no contest, either guilty or no contest in order to have the best chance to get me back. Because at one point I was actually about to be shipped off to Visalia and sent into an actual foster home or foster facility. Um, and this whole battle went on for three months. Uh, at one point, I remember being sent down to um, a group home in the Bay Area. And apparently, from my mom's recollection, I had cried the first night I was there. I don't have memory of it. I do remember when I was there that I was okay for the most part. I was with professionals, other kids. They treated us well. They had us like these little games where you could win prizes. They would take us to like McDonald's, which is like, you know, a dream as a kid. Um, and yeah, so like while I was there, like it wasn't a terrible experience. And I think I was just so young. I was seven or eight at the time that I just didn't know what was going on outside of that. Um, so I eventually, it was two days before uh, two days before, I think, Christmas, Christmas Eve, two days before Christmas, and wait, two days before Christmas, I think, yeah, two days before Christmas, I was released to live with my dad. Initially, I had wanted to live with my dad, but uh, he had said no. This was before the CPS situation, but they finally had released me to him because initially they weren't even going to release me to my grandparents at the time. That's how serious and dire the situation was. And it was a lot of, a lot of things could have happened, but it was actually by some miracle that I was able to go home. So 
flash forward to living with my dad, the situation was better in some ways, in other ways not so much. Um, I, you know, got to live with my brother, <laughs> apparently, you know, as older siblings do, wasn't entirely thrilled about it. Um, but I got to have a somewhat more normal life and be around other kids. I think it was hard for me to adjust to that, to adjust to that new situation and being away from my mom. And for a while, my parents still had some supervised visits or had a CPS or social worker who would come in and monitor our interaction. And at this point in time, I also had a lot of still behavioral and anger issues that I still attribute to my environment growing up um, and things that had happened to me or, or suspect that happened to me as a child. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so they had to continue with supervised visits for a while. Um, and my CPS case was actually active even beyond the supervised visits until I was 18 years old. Um, so I was in the special education system to some extent for pretty much the remainder of my school years um, and high school years. Um, when I first moved with my dad, I was in remedial classes with other, in a regular public school, but in remedial classes with other students that had behavioral issues or, or different types of um, um, psychological issues. Uh, definitely better than the situation I was in when I was living with my mom. So this is, you know, in the Bay Area. And at the elementary school I was going to, um, the teachers were really nice. They had, but I still witnessed kids being like physically held to the ground, um, acting out all kinds of different things. Um, so I spent a year in that, about a year or two in that environment before I was transferred to another school. Um, in which I was put in a traditional public setting. Now, it's, it, it was still challenging for me at first, um, and I had an amazing counselor. Her name, I'll just say her name. Her name is Miss Bobo, and I had an amazing teacher named Miss Gazillas. This is, I was in fifth grade at this point, still having a lot of behavioral challenges, um, and there were some <laughs> incidents uh, inside the classroom. Um, you know, I had um, a lot of issues and I would see my counselor and I actually continued to see her even when I moved on from that elementary school into middle school. Um, and she was just amazing. like. She, uh, <laughs> like, she had just so much patience with me, um, and I will be honest, she, you know, I had the biggest, uh, crush on her. <laughs> uh, I will admit that I kept it to myself for many, many years because I thought I was weird, um, and, but that was my first experience with later, much later on in life, finding out I was bi. Um, and she was just amazing. Um, and of course I never told anyone about that because I think, you know, people would think I was weird. Um, but Hey, 
you know, it's, it's out there now. Um, now, during all this, uh, as I mentioned, I had been in remedial classes. I had a IEP meetings, IEP meetings. So my dad had IEP meetings uh, with the teacher, with my counselor, you know, how to best support me because at this point, and at, at this time, this was in the early, this was the late 90s, early 2000s when everyone was being medicated for ADHD. And I still, I'm not entirely sure like if I agree with the diagnosis or not, just because it was handed out like candy. Um, sometimes I suspect that I could be potentially on the spectrum to some extent, um, un undiagnosed, because um, there is more awareness for that. Um, but at this point, I, you know, had IEP meetings. I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, they also diagnosed me with uh, something called dysthemia and uh, some something. Hold on. So basically, the stemia is a chronic form of depression, although you never hear about it. It's caused along with other mental disorders. Uh, do Oh, it's a milder, more long-lasting, uh, milder and more long-lasting than major depression. So that's what they had me categorized as. At one point, my mom said that they even categorized me as having bipolar, which was incorrect. Um, like very early on. Um, so that diagnosis was um, corrected. And then they had said I had oppositional, oppositional defiance disorder, which for any of you guys who know me now, like, you know me, like I am like super quiet. I am a yes person, a people pleaser. Like, it's insane <laughs> that looking back at that paperwork and seeing that it's yeah like you <laughs> it, it's yeah it was crazy like i don't even know how i got that i mean again i did have a lot of behavioral issues again like as i got older like i was just yes i couldn't even say i can't even say no to people like i <laughs> i was just always about like following the rules people pleaser all of that and I'll get in more to more of that later, but it was just kind of insane how they had me um, uh, diagnosed as that. And honestly, it, it continued on into my adult years where I just followed the rules. I honestly let people walk on me. Um, like you would never know like that I was the same person as the person that was categorized on that paperwork. Um, but yeah, so I went to that school for a year, um, and I had a very good relationship with my teacher. I actually, even when I, we even are still connected. It's been about five years since I've seen her, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm 33 now, and, <laughs> you know, I had, I had gone to another school that was nearby. I would walk home because I used to live right across the street from the school. I would walk home and I would visit her um, quite often and it was just really, it was so nice. She was just so sweet and I, yeah, we kept in touch pretty much through up until 2017. Um, it's been a while since I've visited her because obviously I've relocated, um, but it was just such a special relationship. Same thing with my counselor. Um, 
they they're still even still in touch with each other my counselor is now retired but they it's just i can't imagine how special it is to them to to realize the person i was then and compared to the person i am now like it's it's night and day like i had so many struggles back then um and the relationship with my parents wasn't the best you know it wasn't what it could have been i struggled um with a lot of depression i think it was around this point that i really struggled with depression um i struggled with lasting friendships um i didn't really develop my or meet my best friends until i was about in middle school or high school actually as i changed schools quite a bit um, I went to a different school district for sixth grade, and then I officially went to middle school. So I was at two different school, two or three different schools, like one year each. And yeah, and uh, it was a different transition. I had a lot of passing friendships. There are some folks I'm still connected with on Facebook, um, and I've actually had some of them reach out to me, telling me. Like, wow, I'm, I just admire who you've become, like, since that person that, that they knew back then, back, um, what, like 20 years ago, <laughs> about, about 20 years ago. Um, and that is just so special, um, to have, you know, because I struggled and, um, you know, with lasting friendships until I was about in eighth grade. Um, I was just, it was hard. Uh, a lot of lonely nights. Um, I didn't see my mom much. She lived two and a half hours away. Um, you know, there was a lot of substance abuse, I'll say, um, that continued on. Um, so I didn't see her much. I lived with my brother and my dad. Um, I have a very good family friend who came in to the picture and was just really supportive of me. And I'm just so thankful for like my teacher, my counselor, um, some, you know, family friends that have come into my life that have, okay, you know, if Hyrule is listening, hey, I'm, I'm going to say, hey, Hyrule, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, like, and it was weird. Like I was, I at the time felt like I was emotionally in some ways beyond my years. I had an easier time fostering relationships with adults versus people my own age it was very weird but and I remember being told like make friends with people your own age and I had such a hard time I was bullied I was picked on made fun of and like during this time it was just so difficult um you know not seeing my mom much living with my dad and my brother being the only girl in the house um yeah just trying to figure things out um, I also was lucky to have my grandmother nearby and I saw her on weekends. Um, I saw her, um, she would always <laughs> make dinner for me or lunch. We'd go to lunch, breakfast, and it was so special because I, for the most part of my formative years, it was a lot of TV dinners, even moving in with my dad, TV dinners, canned foods, a lot of instant foods. Um, my dad uh, is self-employed, you know, all that, especially back then he was gone a lot. Um, and there was occasional family nights. There wasn't a lot of them, but, um, there, I just always felt like 
it was hard. Like, it, I always long for a very, like, traditional family where you eat dinner together, meals together. And I'll go into more of that later, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's so important for my husband and I to eat dinner together every night, um, to have that semblance of normalcy, um, because I didn't have that growing up. And I think to an extent, um, in his later years, he, he didn't either. Um, but I will save that for another day. So there was another key situation I actually just thought of that happened when I was in fifth grade. See, there, yeah, shortly before I st started fifth grade, I think that made it more difficult. Um, and so this is actually kind of when I realized that I did not want kids before I really knew that I didn't want kids. Um, and I, okay, so I have, my family's pretty small, but I have one younger um, cousin. And during this time, um, I would see a lot of my aunt and my cousin. Um, my aunt has um, bipolar. Um, I, you know, don't, her story is her story to share, but I will just say that. Um, and I remember interacting, you know, or, or spending a lot of time with them, spending a lot of time with them. And it was okay uh, initially. Um, I was very awkward around babies and kids at this point. I think I was like nine or 10. And um, I, I don't know. So we, my aunt would hang out with us uh, and or I would be with them. Um, there was a, this is a key moment that will affect several years of my life. And that is, you know, my aunt and my cousin, you know, they would spend time with us. Um, you know, my dad was like close with them. This is my mom's sister, um, and her, her nephew. And, um, this was actually only a couple of years after I moved in with my dad. I was still struggling a lot emotionally. Um, I had a lot of different challenges. Um, and we, <laughs> there was a particular memory I have, and this is a hard one for me, but I, and I, <laughs> I can't bring myself to talk about it, honestly, much. Um, my aunt, and I'll touch on this later on, um, and some later episodes because my aunt and I had a reconciliation of sorts um, after about 20 years but um, I think this is kind of what started our kind of tenuous relationship throughout the years so in that my husband okay so now my, <laughs> my husband didn't exist at that point well he did but we were not I mean I was only 10 so we were not together at this point um, but I was with my dad and my brother and my aunt and my cousin had come along with us to Raging Waters. It's, I don't, I don't think I've even been there since just because this memory is just particularly hard for me. But um, I just remember us getting back into the car and my dad had closed the trunk and my brother, my aunt and my cousin were sitting in back. Uh, unbeknownst to my dad, my brother had had his fingers caught in the, um, it was a hatchback. So in the, like the top of the, the car, the, the trunk top, 
um, he had this, uh, I think it was a Toyota Celica at, at the time, so he had a hatchback, and my brother was just, like, screaming bloody mur murder, understandably, and my dad had, like, run around and, like, opened the trunk, like, ASAP, like, like, like that. He was opening the trunk. Um, thankfully, like, there was no fractures, everything, you know, was okay, um, no, like, long-term damage or anything, but I remember specifically my cousin saying, out of just at, kind of out of the blue because he was in the back sitting with them um i think what did he say like it's just a hard memory that i blocked a lot of it out but i think he said well why is he crying or what happened or something like that and i was i was barely 10 at the time and i just said I think I was just traumatized kind of by what happened, to be honest. Um, my, my brother is four years older than me, full transparency. And I think what, so my, so I, I basically said, what a stupid question. And, you know, I was a kid, you know, I had my own issues at the time, understandably. And my aunt just snaps back at me. She's just like, you be quiet. And I'm just like, and I think my dad may have been outside of the car at the time, so I don't think he heard it. So I think I just burst into tears. I, I burst into tears. And then my dad got mad at me and asked me, like, what's your problem or something? <laughs> I don't know. Didn't understand what was going on. My dad didn't understand why I was upset. No one else said anything. And it was just a very awkward ride home. And so I remember starting fifth grade that year um, with that memory in mind that it was just a very hard memory. And it was a precursor to many other events with my aunt that made us continue to have a difficult relationship into my adulthood, actually. Um, I... Uh, long story short, there was a lot of favoritism between my, you know, my aunt with her her son and also my brother. My brother is basically old enough to be her brother. So she was closer to my brother um, because she was still living at home when my brother was born and obviously her son. So I just felt honestly like, you know, the third wheel. Um, there was three of us, um, grandkids at my grandmother's house, like for all the holiday get togethers, three of us always felt like the odd one out. My brother and my cousin were identical as, as far as personality and behavior, like super outgoing, super active, you know, for lack of a better word at the time, I would define it as annoying <laughs> because I was always just very introverted very quiet, um, always needing my personal space. Um, they were quite the opposite of me. And I think that also played a factor. And I think when I needed that personal time, my aunt would basically tell my cousin that I was being mean. Because um, I, I honestly, because of all the other things going on in my life, I couldn't communicate. I honestly couldn't communicate when things bothered me. I couldn't say no. I mean, my family didn't know why I couldn't tell my cousin no, like to please stop, you know, or anything like that. Partially is because I was never really taught how to have healthy boundaries because they didn't exist in my family. 
Um, I had poor self-esteem. I had my own issues in school and at home. I I couldn't say no. Um, I, uh, so every time I came over to my grandmother's house, where my where my uh, <laughs> I keep saying my husband, where my cousin was there, I would literally go hide in the closet. I would go hide in the closet because I did not know how to express myself verbally at the time. And it's funny if you know me now, like you'd be like, "What? You did not? <laughs> you could? You know what?" <laughs> You you not being able to communicate? Yeah, um, I was honestly a very different person. And my my cousin and I are seven years apart. Um, and yeah, I didn't know how to communicate. He would do super annoying things to me, try and, I don't know, pick my ear or like bug me. I remember one time he pushed me when I was in the kitchen. I don't remember even why or how, but I remember I got, I was just so upset and I was tired of it. And I, because I couldn't communicate effectively or know how to really defend myself, I pushed him back as hard as I could. He fell back on his butt <laughs> and just kind of looked at me, kind of shocked and ran out of the kitchen. He never told anybody. Uh, I was afraid that I was going to get in trouble, um, but I just had enough. And because I had never really been taught how to handle those boundaries, that's kind of how it manifested for me. Um, I was just so angry at, at everybody, at, at, you know, my aunt, my cousin, you know, every, really everybody at the time. And um, it was, it was, it was not, it was not fun. Um, and then later on, I had issues with, um, when I was younger, I had issues with petty theft as a kid. Um, and as a result of that, my aunt had blamed me for her yearbooks going missing. Uh, fast forward later on, she, she, had, she ended up finding them. But for a good couple years, uh, I was blamed for that. And pretty much everyone else believed that I had too. Um, and except I think maybe for my mom and my therapist, I, it was hard. I, I mean, I guess understandably, you know, um, they looked my direction because I had, you know, I had issues with petty theft when I was growing up and I, <laughs> that was hard. Everyone believed that I had done it. And I just remember you know, when she found them, I I think I may have gotten an apology. I don't remember, but I felt like it was sort of glossed over a little bit. But I remember my mom kind of being angry on my behalf for being blamed. Although my mom did for a short period of time thought I had done it too, but had come to believe that I didn't do it and when it came out that I didn't do it I think she was really upset that I had been blamed I think for I think three or four years or something that had passed before they found these yearbooks um so it was that along with my cousin being able to just get away with a lot of things um, I have been blamed for wanting to have my own space and to set my own boundaries, although I couldn't communicate how. Um, and 
it, yeah, it was almost like, what do you call it? I had an insult to injury kind of, you know? I mean, I was already struggling with all those stuff. And like, I hear I, because I didn't know how to communicate for my cousin to stop doing something I didn't like or how to ask for my own personal time, you know, I was ridiculed. And that was, it was hard. It was very isolating, very lonely. There was a time I remember, I think I was actually locked inside my bedroom. I don't remember why I was being disciplined for something. I was locked inside my bedroom. And I had opened my window and left. I had left. I had actually gone to the church next door. And I wanted to see how long it was before it was noticed that I had essentially run away. And I remember eventually I was found. I mean, mind you, this was <laughs> well before kids had cell phones and all of that. This was probably in the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. Um, so, yeah. And I think my grandmother was there and they tried to bring me back. And yeah, it, uh, it, that was a, a struggle. I think I'd carried this with me. I, you know, we'd have family events. I couldn't look my aunt in the eye, couldn't talk to her at this time. And I later, later told her later, I, to me, I took her mental struggles because she has a mental illness. I took it personally. I did not understand. I mean, I didn't have the capacity to understand at that age. And I was dealing with my own struggles growing up. So I took every I took it personally how she was acting towards me towards everyone else I I took it personally and you know as a result of that and some of these situations that occurred I I don't want to say hate hate's a strong word hate is a really strong word but I don't I I think I resented her I was I was angry with her and I resented her is more appropriate um I mean, back then, you could ask 10-year-old me, and I probably would have said, yes, I hate her. <laughs> but I don't think that's the accurate, you know, accurate word for that. It was resentment, you know, and stuff like that. And, and of course, now I know that she never, we had a talk, and I'll get in more t in, into more of that later. And she had never meant for me to feel that way. Um, and she actually thought, uh, when I was younger, she thought I had actually did hate her uh, for many years. And it wasn't until a couple years ago when we had a very long conversation, I just felt compelled to reach out to her. Um, I will get into more of that. It's, it's you know, there's some trigger warning um, for suicide. Um, but I will, I will get into that in a later episode. Um, I think it's more appropriate that I save that because otherwise it's going to be one real long episode. But anyway, I had gone into middle school. Um, it was okay. Um, I had had some friendships that kind of fizzled out. I remember befriending someone who actually stole from me and, um, you know, would, would lie about it. But I knew I had caught her. And I remember also being told by another friend that... Um, I was negative and that I shouldn't talk about my problems, that I talked about my problems too much and that I was negative. And so ever since then, um, I 
was just like a clam. I closed up, uh, walls went up, and I never talked about my past, my problems, um, and whether that's a good or bad thing, I, I don't know. I think it was hard for me to open up to people. I was so dis distrusting of everyone. But I did meet some amazing friends that I am still in touch with now. Um, and uh, in middle school, I, I met two, uh, twin, two twin girls who became my best friends. So right before I started fifth grade, it was already difficult. I was switching schools. I had that incident with my aunt that was weighing heavily on my mind. Um, but there was another girl who was going into, I believe she was in my fifth grade class. I knew her from the on-site childcare daycare center and we were friends, um, up until this point. I had actually, she used to carry around this dog stuffed animal and I just, for whatever reason, I, I really loved it and I, I don't know, I envied her. I wanted to be like her. So I ended up finding the same plushed stuffed doggo at CVS. And I remember, I think it was the first day of school, showing it to her in line. And ever since then, she she just was upset. I don't, I don't even know if she even, I don't even remember if she said anything to me. But I just remember from that day onward, she just stopped talking to me. Now, later on, I will get into some similar experiences that I had happen um, that were quite memorable to me um, as far as, you know, early my early friendships. But I remember being very devastated. And I remember we actually happened to have the same therapist. And I just remember just being, I remember writing apology letters and... This is actually it actually happened later on in fifth grade year too because as I mentioned, I have been bullied, left out, and a lot of it was just because I was troubled as a child and didn't not, didn't know how to make meaningful connections and relationships when I was that age and just kids in general, you know, can be mean and it and it's just hard. And I think that's part of the reason why I tend tended to foster like friendships and relationships with people, uh, not romantically, but with people older, um, like family, friends, and things like that, because it just felt so hard to connect with people my own age with everything I was going through. But I remember my counselor, since she was also her counselor, had related to her what I had said, just like my extreme remorse, just about the friendship and just, I don't know, about, I guess, apologizing for <laughs> having the same stuffed animal as her, I guess, that she would carry around. And, you know, she, I don't know if she accepted my apology, but she had, didn't ever want to be friends with me again. Again, we're like 10 years old at this point. Um, and that was it. We, I didn't really talk to her after that. Um, and I remember when I moved into 
sixth grade. Um, I actually still saw that counselor actually, even though I was going to a different school, I would walk through the school back home. I would, uh, I would walk through the campus, you know, back when things weren't as, you know, were schools didn't, weren't fenced off, you know, because of things going on today. Things were so much different back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where, you know, I could just walk on campus after getting out from school, say hi to my teacher, say hi to my counselor. Um, and she actually still, like, she wasn't even being paid to have sessions with me. She did it on her own accord. She would see me. Even, like, though I was going through, going to a different school. I, and this continued, I think, for a couple of years. And then after that, like, I would see her occasionally. Um, but this continued a couple of years. Where, for a couple of years where I would, she would still have sessions with me, like, I think every week or every other week. And <laughs> I used to play this game with her called, like, like I don't know. I, we didn't have a name for it. It was sort of like hide-and-go-seek where I would... I, and I feel bad because I basically was wasting her time by hiding from her and she'd have to come find me. And I don't even honestly know why I was doing that. I was like 11 at this point. Um, but she was just like so patient. And like, I think I remember like trying, like actually trying to push her buttons, trying to get her to lose patience with me. Maybe I was just, you know, trying to self-sabotage because of my abuse and you know, things I was dealing with as a kid, trying to self-sabotage, um, just kind of like how people self-sabotage, you know, romantic relationships, diets, same type of thing. I was trying to see what I could do to piss her off and to stop talking to me, essentially. But she just had, she was like a saint. Like, yeah, like, I remember, like, she would get irritated, but oh my gosh, like, I think back and I'm like, I have no idea how she dealt with me. I, and I, I don't, but oh my gosh, like, you know, we used to do uh, like this type of sand therapy, which a lot of people kind of disregarded, but it is actually like a form of therapy for kids, um, you know, to get them to open up about what's going on at home, um, especially just because like kids, you know, when you're not an adult, you know, kids don't readily talk to just anybody, um, you know, and seeing how they play and allowing them to be in that environment that kind of fosters them to be open is definitely, and I guess <laughs> there is like a actual certification for sand play therapy. Um, maybe I'll look it up and link it in the, the show notes. You guys can check it out. Um, and I have, I think the last time I saw my counselor was five years ago. Same thing with my old uh, school teacher. They were both on the same school campus and had communicated with each other for many, many years beyond. And so um, they're the only ones I've been really, in, excuse my cat, <laughs> in touch with since um, I moved on from that school. But um, I, I've been thinking about reaching out to my counselor because last time I had reached out to her was back in 2017 and I was going through some heavy times um, back then. And I just remember her saying that I just deserved the best. And it always kind of resonated with me. Just, I just, she'd said I just deserved nothing but like love and kindness. And I think this was when 
my husband and I were doing with a lot of marital issues and struggles and stuff like that. And I, I haven't seen her since then. It was back 2017. It's been five years. So I probably should reach out to her and, you know, <laughs> touch base and be like, Hey, you know, everything is going really well now. I bought a house and things like that. And maybe I'll do that after recording this episode. <laughs> But yeah, that I think that's a key part of my life because these individuals had really helped push me in the right direction when I just felt so utterly and completely alone and lost. And, um, you know, there are a few folks like that that are just amazing. And when I was in sixth grade, I met another friend and, um, you know, um, we both were still like discovering ourselves and we had kissed or made out. I would say we made out. Um, but when our parents found out, um, we weren't allowed to hang out with each other anymore or, or be friends with one another. And I think my dad was worried just because of all the CPS thing, things that, I mean, my case was still open. And maybe he was afraid that, you know, something like that could jeopardize things. I don't know. But to this day, I feel like it was just so poorly handled. And I, I think it made me struggle with my identity for so long because of how that was happened. It made me feel like it was wrong. And like, had this been with a boy, you know, I mean, it's probably the same thing still probably would have happened. But I mean, I don't know where I mean, we were preteens, you know, we were preteens. I feel like it was age appropriate, but it was just handled like, I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't even be friends anymore. Like we couldn't talk or anything like that. And I remember later on, like, you know, in early adulthood, she'd reached out to me and, you know, she felt like my my dad especially hated her like or that I was upset with her and I'm like no and I'm like it just was so unfortunate that that happened the way it did and that our parents basically just didn't really allow us to be friends anymore or to really talk to one another um like we just did something horrible and we didn't and um I don't know maybe it was just back then it was the very early 2000s like like 2000 2001 um 2001 I think 2000 yeah um, so the times were still very much different. I mean, it was a little over 20 years ago. Um, so things were still very much different. Even 10 years ago, things were different. This was 20 years ago. Um, but it was not easy for me as a preteen in figuring out my identity after some of these things, like made to just being made to feel like it was wrong. Um, and my grandmother was very conservative. Like, I, I couldn't even, like, begin to tell her anything like that. Like, you know, she still wasn't even entirely... Just, like, I don't know, it's generational also, too. Um, it, like, they can't even wrap their heads around, like, interracial, like, relationships and marriages and stuff like that. So when my brother and I later on got into interra interracial um, relationships, like, my grandma and my grandfather were just like shell shocked. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like fifth and sixth grade was like a huge cornerstone of my life. Um, I also remember being obsessed with Pokemon, being made fun of for that 
Uh, I started loving Sailor Moon in sixth grade, being made fun of for dressing up as Sailor Moon, which is so ironic because I'm in my 30s now and it is so common for people to go to conventions and dress up as anime characters, but like back in 11th grade, people were like, oh my god, like they thought it was just like so childish for me to be dressing up as Sailor Moon and and now the irony is that like I'm in my 30s and like it's cool to cosplay. Like I didn't even, this was before I even knew cosplay existed. Um, you know, I kind of found out like later on when I got in high school and kind of got into the uh, convention scene later on when I met my husband, but like before, like, yeah, it was, it was not fun, um, being a kid. So what I would often do is I would retreat into my hobbies, uh, into my writing, into my TV shows, X-Files, Sailor Moon, retreat into that every day after school. When I got into high school, I'd actually spend a lot of time in, in like Yahoo groups, chat rooms, um, just boring my heart out, like writing fan fiction. Fan fiction has been a big part of my life since I was 11 years old when I was writing down in journals. Now I type it out in a computer, but for many for a couple of years actually, I was writing it down in journals and I started posting fan fiction to fanfiction.net on, um, it was like early, yeah, early 2000s when I was in high school writing and I'm, I look back and I'm like oh my god like I can't believe I wrote that like I like at the time I'm like oh you know I'm like I'm a writer and not many people write and you know just it's amazing seeing like how much I've changed as a writer and how much my writing has improved since then now I'm like eh. I'm like I kind of like cringe about, about certain grammar things um but yeah like it was a big part of my world um and I when the world was a terrible place, it was somewhere I could retreat into. And I was so thankful for that. And I was a big artist. I loved drawing anime, doing ceramics. Um, because like it was, yeah, if it wasn't for those things, I don't even know how I would have coped, but it was just a big constant in my life. And it still is like, not just for nostalgic purposes, but, um, it just uh, saved me, and now it's just a it's just a, a loving hobby, and my cat's probably gonna want to be let outside soon. So moving on into middle school, uh, that was a transition for me that involved trying to meet, make new friends. And initially, the first year, seventh grade, most of it wasn't easy. I like the you know the, I love it honestly that we. We had, um, I think it was called periods, where like you had different classes instead of like being in the same class, um, and that I remember that year started off started off kind of difficult because there was a girl from my sixth grade class who actually was involved in a murder suicide at at home. Um, her whole family, her her father had killed her and her whole family, and then himself. And I remember there being a, um, a funeral or memorial of sorts on campus, and it was very, very, not, um, it, w it was just very just devastating and um, awful and gloomy. Um, 
Of course, as it should be. It's, you know, it's devastating. And I, and this is kind of when was a turning point as far as me. I didn't show, like, any emotion. Like, I was just horrified by what happened. And, of course, there is no right or wrong way to grieve. But at the time, I didn't know that. And I remember one of my classmates who was in the same class as us, who had also gone on tour in middle school, saying, Valerie, why aren't you why aren't you crying? And, you know, or shouldn't you be crying? And I just didn't know what to say. I, I, I felt it made me just feel like there was something wrong with me. Like, and I don't even know why. It wasn't because I wasn't sad, because I was. It was horrific. And... And I just, you know, later on, I realized that, you know, that, you know, how I handle and process emotion is, you know, I am not a very forward, expressive person. And I go on later in life to being told as much, but I didn't realize it at the time. And I think this is also, I mean, it's maybe partially just my own, um, just me as a person, you know, my own, uh, personality, but also because of the traumatic experiences and abuse that I had experienced as a kid, I um, learned to deal with things by not showing emotion, by not showing my weakness, not showing I was sad or upset, Um, keep just internalizing my feelings. My feelings were internal, they weren't external, and they wouldn't come out until more recently, which I'll get to later, but they were all internal, but I just, I didn't want, I don't, I wasn't insulted, but it's something that stuck with me because I felt like this, something was wrong with me. And, um, I, I, I go on later, you know, throughout my life, um, you know, people just thinking like I am not sad or upset because they don't physically see it on my face, but it's all internalized, um, which is a later conversation again. Um, so after that, I ended up meeting another friend. Um, I think I touched on her already. She had reached out to me later and just told me how she was just amazed at the woman that I've become and that she admired me and that it meant so much to me. And this was like maybe... I don't know, five or six years ago on Facebook. And um, we um, were friends for, well, I mean, not like we were were unfriends, but we kind of like drifted apart, like more so in eighth grade. But we used to hang out all the time. I'd skip homework club, you know, things that kids do. And she introduced me to Boba Tea, and I will forever be indebted and thankful for her (laughs) for that. And I remember hating it. (laughs) <laughs> if you know me, you know how much I love boba tea. I remember trying to hide it from her that I didn't like it. Like the first time I tried it, I did not like it. And I was trying to leave, to leave it like behind so she wouldn't notice, but she noticed. She's like, oh, like that's so good. And like, oh, I don't know. It just tastes weird. And and then after that, I was hooked on it like ever since. I would get it like every single day. <laughs> Still do. Um, forever changed my life. Um so many things to be I learned so much from her um she had a lot of like um sexual abuse and a lot of different things she was grappling with from her childhood um and 
that she was struggling with. And I remember at one point, her dad had passed away, or she found out her dad had passed away, and she wasn't really in touch with him. And she just didn't know how to process that, which is understandable. You, you know, when it's your parent, you know, it's totally understandable. Um, you know, and but we spent a lot, I you know, I went over to her house, and I, you know, and this is like, I'm still kind of learning, like, what it's like to have a, a real friend, and um, it, it, it kind of like, we spent less time hanging out when, when I was in um, eighth grade, but I remember she was struggling with her dark past, and I think this was the first real time that I really had a friend that I really knew had this type of past, and I felt like I could relate. I mean, it was different, but like, you know, we both had traumatic experiences, and you know, I did find friends, I did find comfort in friendships like that, but all of us were struggling <laughs> so uniquely that honestly, you know, when I get to my high school, talking about my high school years, I completely like flipped the switch. I, my friends that I befriended in high school, I mean, they still had, you know, they still had their own struggles, but in different ways. Um, and, but they were just like a breath of fresh air because I, I got to know, know what it's like to have normalcy in my life, you know, to, you know, they didn't have like this, like the same struggles that I had. And so they just came from a very normal upbringing, you know, loving parents, you know, some of them were, were blended families and stuff like that, but just like a supportive, loving environment. And, um, they just, they had so much to offer me. Um, and I, I, I soaked onto that like a sponge. Um, you know, but of course we, we had things in common. We met organically. We had art and, um, you know, we met in class and we just, uh, the type of things that we read. I mean, maybe that, I think maybe I would have turned out that way too, if my has to be, had and you know, initially, I don't think we actually liked each other. I was a difficult person, <laughs> you know. I, you know, I <laughs> said and did some stupid things. But I don't know. By just the power of fate, I just felt myself drawn to them. And I think it was because of them that I learned to be a better person, or at least start to be a better person. Um, you know, at this point in time, uh, X-Files and Sailor Moon <laughs> had been my constant. Um, and it, to, through getting through these hard times, um, you know, I had many other, I had many other issues, <laughs> of course, along this point that like, you know, I could go on for hours, but for the sake of this podcast, um, I remember we would hang out on, um, I think I met well, I met um, I met them in art class, and I just remember we started hanging out during our recess periods, and I actually would get the school lunch, but because I wanted to spend more time with them, I didn't want to waste time in line. So I would learn to make PBJs, which I probably should have done earlier. I mean, I, I, I chose to make my own lunch. I made started making my own lunches. I'm like, I even told my dad, I'm like, hey, I'm going to make my own lunch. You know, I, I, it was probably easier on his pocketbook, so... <laughs> Um, so I started making uh, sandwiches so I could eat with my friends and I would often ask what kind of sandwiches they were having 
And I remember one time they had had a sandwich that I think it had dried pork. Um, now it's some something you can find at any like Asian market or international market, dried shredded pork. And I haven't had it in years, but I used to buy it all the time and stick it in my sandwich. I'm like, this is actually kind of good, you know? Um, so I just, I learned so many things from them. And, um, and I think it was hard because I went on to high school. I had to go on to a different high school. Uh, and that had a lot to do with my, we were not living in the district that my um, middle school was in. Um, so, and I think they, I think, I don't know if, my dad was using another address, um, so I could go to the school district. Um, and so I ended up switching school districts and having to go to another high school. I just remember being kind of devastated, uh, because I had these friendships and they were going, at the time, they weren't sure if they were going to go to a private school, if they're going to go to like this, the high school in that school district that everyone was going to. And so I ended up choosing to, <laughs> I ended up having to go to another high school. Um, actually, the high school was the same school district that I had actually, that I was in in, in, in the fourth and fifth grade. Um, so some of the kids that knew me when I was, you know, honestly the top at the, at the height of my, um, difficult times and I was not really looking forward to that but I feel like enough years had passed to where like they knew of me but not not everyone really remembered I mean this was this was fifth grade and we're talking like four years three or four years had passed which is a lot is, you know it's a lot a lot of years when you're a kid you know I mean it's nothing when you're adult but like you know when you're talking from like a 10 year old to like 14 it's definitely it's definitely a difference so um, I didn't really talk to those guys much. I remembered a few people from like fifth grade, my fifth grade class, because I had gone back to that school district. Um, but we didn't really talk. Um, I remember spending the first couple of years really, really depressed, missing my friends. I, you know, because these were the first real true best friends that I had managed to keep for a couple of years. And we stayed in touch and we saw each other every now and then on weekends. And I remember their parents telling me that they like, they miss me. And it's just, it meant a lot to me. They were, you know, they are, they were, and they are just very, very good people. They were so accepting of me and they meant so much to me. And I remember just feeling so sad when, and I think it was my like first year, freshman year. And then like, kind of like halfway through my sophomore year, um, and fast forward, um, it was about uh, six months into the, my sophomore year or something like that, where I met my other best friends. Um, they were uh, a year ahead of me, actually. Um, and it was so unexpected because, you know, I was just a, a loner at this point. Um, and at, at school, anyway. And um, I actually, I had, they were also, ironically, um, you know, another pair of twin girls. Um, and I met the oldest one, um, in math class. And she actually showed, was showing me how to do math. It's, it's funny. Fast forward today, we are still best friends. 
I just saw her a couple weeks ago, actually. And um, neither of us are actually still good at math. <laughs> but at the time, like, she was in the same class that I was, and she was trying to help me with math. And that's how I met her. And then I think later on, I met her and her sister, and then we kind of started hanging out. And I just remember they always had lockers full of romance books. Now, I mentioned I was an Enneagram 5 wing 4. This was where my, like, the romantic side, a romanticist in me kind of comes out. And then I got into them. They were also very good people. Uh, they, you know, were just, they came and went to school. Um, they didn't get into trouble. And, and it's funny because I did hang out with people who got into trouble, um, and you know, in, in my younger years. But honestly, meeting meeting these these people or meeting my friends, you know, and keeping them throughout my life has humbled me and kept me out of trouble too. Um, they were just so different than the people that I had previ previously associated with. And part of that, I I just set out ever since I was told out how negative it was, I, I was, I kept my walls up and I was so picky about the people I associated myself with. So picky, you know, and at this point in time, I felt like I had improved a lot as a person. I didn't steal anymore and, and things like that. And I was just trying so hard to just change myself by my own choice. And, you know, if it weren't for my four best friends, you know, I, I don't know if that would have been possible. I don't, I don't know where things would, would have been, but they were, they, you know, they, nobody's perfect, of course. Um, but they, you know, they were just, uh, they came to school, they did their schoolwork, you know, stayed out of trouble, that kind of thing. Um, we'd walk home together. We'd walk to the library together. We're nerds. <laughs> we were nerds. Now, if you knew younger me, like I was a troublemaker, and then I was later, like, I was a total nerd. You know, I was a total nerd going to the library, you know, like, staying out of trouble, all of that. And so it was transformative for me. And, um, you know, I sometimes was still annoyed. And, you know, they they <laughs> they loved me for it. And um, we'd get milk teas and, and um, like, after school and stuff. And I remember, actually. So I, I hung out with them for the next year and a half. Um and when it came up to my junior year, um, they were going to be, you know, aging out. They were going to be graduating. And I remember throughout the four years, or three years actually, I had begged my dad, I want to go back and be with my other friends because my friends I met at this high school, they're going to be graduating and I'm going to be alone again because they were the only friends I really, really had in high school. Um, so I ended up for my last year of high school, going back to the original high school I would have gone to after middle school if I would have stayed in the district. And ended up thankfully, had thankfully, God's blessing, able to stay with those friends um, or meet my, my, my friends that I had met in middle school to, to complete my high school years with them. Um, because otherwise it would have been kind of depressing. Um, it, I mean, I didn't have anything wrong with the high school I went to, but I only had really those two best friends, uh, other than like maybe a couple of acquaintances here and there that they were all I really had. Um, and I just remember begging my dad for several years. I, I, I want to go back. 
to that uh, to the other high school. I want to go back. Um, you know, my friends are going to be graduating, and I'm going to be spending this last year alone and depressed. And and it's funny. Like I sometimes wish I was a Gen Z because like now, like online classes and stuff like that are like where it's at. And you know, and one once I got to college, once I found that, I was all over it. Like you know, if I could do distance learning and you know, um, but yeah. So this will lead on, we'll talk, we'll touch more on this later, but um, I have an uncle who I never really had much of a relationship with. Um, just, just, he just wasn't really in my life. And when he was, it was always negative experiences. I remember when I was 11 years old, I don't even remember the context, but I was about 11 years old and he said that um, I was going to be sexy when I grew up. And that just made me just, it just made me feel just so gross. And I couldn't even believe my uncle. My own uncle had said that to me. I mean, I didn't even understand at the time, but it stuck with me. I knew it wasn't right. I knew there was something off with that. And I remember telling my mom, who then told my dad, um, and my uncle has kind of always been this way. Like he, <laughs> he's always been a troublemaker. He's always been inappropriate, had, has had his run in with the law and stuff like that. Um, but later on, like, I remember when I would come visit my grandmother, uh, during the summers, I remember him yelling at me, him whenever I'd misbehave, he would yell. And thankfully, he's ne he never physically did anything to me. I think my parents told him not to. But I was so afraid of him because he, he was just scary. Like, the way he would handle things was always so aggressive. Um, and that's honestly why I couldn't really hold down a job. He had a, he had a bad temper, like a bad temper. And... I just, yeah, so, like, my experiences being around him, like, I I didn't really want him around because of that. Like, he scared me. Um, and, you know, when I, when I get to it, probably in the next episode, about how he reacted to my moving out with my husband at the time. Um, it was not, <laughs> it was not a pretty scene, but he just... He, I just, he's that uncle, <laughs> for lack of a better word. He is that weird uncle that <laughs> everyone has. So I'm going to leave you guys with this because this video is already well over an hour long. I, since my dating arc, since my dating arc is like a whole entire arc in its own, I think I am going to touch on that uh, or continue in our next episode. So you can look forward to that, my um, dating my husband um, and how that started and all of that. So I want to say thank you guys to <laughs> bearing with me. You're the true MVPs if you have made it all the way through this first episode and listening to my stream of consciousness. I just think it's just so important to 
I don't know, kind of tell you guys a little bit about me before we get into like the, the meat of everything. And of course, I will be referencing some of this or some of these episodes and my past as it presents itself. Um, but um, yeah, so I want to thank you guys. Um, I know it was a little bit all over the place, um, but my next episode will be about my early years with my husband, <laughs> uh, whom you'll get to meet uh, virtually on the podcast later on. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast, and I will see you guys real soon. Bye.